Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero of the Day. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you what seeds of wisdom, empowerment, enlightenment, and liberation. We are promoting a message that is uh, liberating. <laughs> Lost my train of thought just that quick. Um, we're promoting a knowledge that's engaging and transforming. And we are here to help you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And, of course, there's ways you can join us on this illuminating journey, if you like. Uh, you can share your thoughts with us on the air. I call in 347-237-5230. And if you uh, have anything else you want to talk about, you can also follow, uh, hit us up on our Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook. And um, also uh, on Twitter, you can uh, send call out your dialogue there on Twitter at Zero Radio. That's where we are. And um, you can hit me up on my personal email, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. So there's a lot of ways you can do that. We appreciate you. We usually have the chat room up and running, but um, we had some technical difficulties with that, so the chat room is not open, but those other ways are ways you can get in touch with us, and uh, we're glad that you joined us today. We want to get straight into our topic, um, topic of the day, which is talking about the shooting, uh, the church shooting at First Baptist Church in Southern Springs, Texas, and we want to talk about eternal security and temporal security. And all the things that surround that. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you and praise you for your grace and your love and kindness that's new every morning and compassion that's new every morning. Don't fail. We thank you for this opportunity to show. Pray that you would bless our efforts and let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are on the heels of another tragedy here in the States. Uh, as many of you know, if you're not aware, you, you will be hearing, you should have heard by now, on this Sunday, this past Sunday, November the 5th, 2017, during the day of worship, 
the time of worship for most con for most congregations here in this country. Uh, their worship was disturbed and disrupted the gun gun violence when a man opened fire, walked outside, and then walked into the church. It opened fire, killing at least 26 persons and injuring at least another two dozen or so. Um, it is the it's being said that it is the worst um, church mass shooting in history, and um, one of the sec uh, one of the deadliest in um, in history. What makes this even more difficult is, um, if you can recall, just a little over uh, two months ago in September. Um, a man walked into Barnett Chapel Church of Christ in Antioch, Tennessee, and opened fire and killed one person. That person was later arrested. And, of course, in June of 2015, um, a person, a man walked into the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, or Mother Emmanuel Amy Church, in Charleston, South Carolina, sat down, listened during Bible study, and then as they were wrapping up Bible study, opened fire and killed nine persons, injured uh, three or five others. We're seeing this happen more frequently. Uh, and it's not just with the church shootings. Uh, we're talking about gun violence altogether. Um in mass and um in singular and we we are in a i don't want to use the word epidemic but we are we're facing a, a gun crisis um, a gun violence crisis not a gun crisis but a gun violence crisis and as you know i am and have been an advocate of uh, uh, advocate against gun violence prevention And um, It grieves me To hear Of all of these Events that are happening It grieves me to hear That persons Are carrying out Acts of violence In sacred spaces It grieves me to know that People who gather in these sacred spaces do not expect uh, anything like that to happen. People come Sunday after Sunday to worship, to fellowship, to be renewed spiritually and encouraged spiritually. And they do not come with the expectation that their lives may be on the line. And... They do not come with the expectation that they may never see their loved ones again. They do not come uh, with the expectation that that some person would carry out a senseless act of violence against another human being. Now, we've learned a lot about the shooter, and I'm not going to focus on the shooter. We, we've learned that he had dishonorable discharge from... Military, we learned that he does 
or he did suffer with mental issues, mental health issues. We did learn that it he was may have been targeting the family of his estranged wife or ex-wife. Um, we know that he has a history of violence domestically, and yet he was still able to obtain weapons um, through legal means. So we 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 could focus on that. The media is going to be focusing on that. The media is trying to um, their job. The media's job is to not ask the question, but stir up the the controversy. They so their their angle is not only why did this happen, but when will it happen again, and what can we do um, if it happens again? Not so much as be proactive, but how can we antagonize those persons that we believe are on the wrong side of the issue to do something that we think is the right active action for the issue. And I don't want to approach it from that perspective. Um, Being a part of every town for gun safety and as a survivor fellow and being a part of Moms Demand Action uh, as a survivor engagement lead, um, I understand both sides. But from a pastor, from the perspective of a pastor, this is this is what's most grieving to me. 26 victims, 26 humans, 26 believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, young and old, one even not born, uh, have been gone, have been taken from us. And while I know death is a part of life, I, I don't like the fact that violence Violent death is part of that, and, and yes, we can find it in scripture. That's you know, that violent death in scriptures, um, carried out even by some of God's own people, and David, um, the prophet Samuel, prophet Elijah, Moses. We can go on and on. We don't see it in Jesus. Um, I. I it's a, it's a tough thing to discuss. It really is. It, it's a tough thing to discuss because it's something that um, we as a church are going to wrestle with for a very long time. We're going to wrestle with it because of the uniqueness of the act. Not so much of the um, the act itself. And I'm trying not to jump ahead too far. You know, I, I'm going to bring in the discussion about security teams for church. I, I'm, I'm bring that up. I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, uh, legislative and po- policies. You know, things of that nature. Um, but I really want to talk about it from the perspective of security, both eternal security and temporal security. Church. The church is the place where believers come to confess our faith in the promise of God, of salvation to the end. That means salvation from 
death to eternal life. We believe and we preach week after week. We believe and we preach week after week. At least we should believe and we should be preaching week after week that when we leave this place, we have an established place. We have a place. We have a house. We have a place not made by man's hand. We go to the words of Paul in Second Corinthians. When this house is, you know, this house is broken down, we got this place eternal. We have this assurance. We have a blessed assurance, as the song says. Blessed assurance that Jesus is ours and that is a foretaste of glory divine. We have an assurance of eternal security. For example, Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 10, um, I want to say it's around verse 27, 28, somewhere in there, that... Um, he gives us eternal life and that we will never perish and that no one will be able to snatch us out of his hand and that the Father who has given us to him is greater uh, than anyone and no one can snatch us out of his hand. That's that concept of eternal security. And yes, there are others, you know, John 3.16, we could quote that. We could quote Hebrews 6, uh, which said um, there are two unchangeable things that it's possible for God to lie. And that if we take refuge in his courage and, and the hope set before us. And, um, uh, I can't recall all of it. Um, I, I, I can go on and on and talk about... Um, Eternal security. We we live as a body of believers with this reassurance. It's what Paul wrote to his to re uh, to encourage those believers that he he um, he shared faith with. He established churches with. He built relationships with. He built community with. He reassured them that this life is temporal. And you can read that when you go through and read uh, in Romans. Um, not is it Romans? Well, it's Romans eight. Yeah, you can use that, I guess. Uh, it's not coming to me right now. Uh, some of you may be able to help me, but he talks about the temporal, temporal life. That what we see now is only temporaries. Uh, you know. Uh, we we look not at the things which are seen because the things which are seen are only temporal, but we look at the things which are not seen because the things which are not seen are eternal. And so we've been taught all of our church life. We've been taught our, the entirety of our church life to look for the eternal, to live for the eternal, to expect the eternal. That when our when our life here is over, we have eternal life, the guarantee of eternal life through faith in the risen Christ, that when we renounce sin and confess sin and we accept Christ and become disciples of Christ, we are no longer subject to the the, the despair of death. Death has no grip, and Paul writes it as, of course, you know, funeral scriptures in First Corinthians 15, or death, where's your sting, grave with your victory. 
the sting of death is uh, the sting of death is whatever. I can't quote it. <laughs> but it's First Corinthians 15, around 57 and 58, somewhere in there. 56, 57, 58. But, but now we're beginning to see something that is challenging to the church. We're beginning to see while we have a hope and we should have a hope for the eternal. There's a reality that is in the now that we must confront. And the challenge is how do we confront that without discouraging people from having faith in God? There's an article that was written, and you can find this on the Black Christian News um, uh, website. I came across it earlier as I was preparing for this uh, broadcast. An article states, let me see if I can pull it up. Um, the article states that more people are now blaming uh, or, or, or criticizing church folk or people who have faith who are responding to tragedies such as this with prayer. All right? There it's called prayer shaming. Uh world increasingly uh shaming increasingly criticizes people who respond to tragedy with prayer to God. Listen to what it says. It says that prayer is seen as no longer a politically acceptable response to tragedy. Instead, we're being po- told to put our trust in something else. And this is this is partially because um, those first, those victims, those 26 victims from Sunday's shooting, you had an unborn child, you had a child that was less than under two years old, and you had person who was as old as 77 years old. You had just about three generations of one family killed in this event. Um. But this is what they're saying. As it happens at every mass shooting, there are those committed to superimposing their own narratives on the tragic events. In fact, some, as it happens at every mass shooting, have found a very a way to even implicate Christians. This time, that is what uh, Emma Green of the Atlantic Monarch does. Um, shooting prayer shaming. This refers to the comments in both social and conventional media that criticize those who say that their thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families. The epitome of prayer shaming was a front-page story in New York Daily News after San Bernardino's shooting, which read, God isn't fixing this, and called Talk of Prayer Meaningless Platitudes. Um, It goes on to say, um, that yeah, people are calling this trivial. Um, here, let me. Um, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole article, but you can go to um, BlackChristianNews.com and you can find that article and read through it. Um, the psalmist asked the question, "Why do the heathen rage and the people plot in vain?" Um. Against our God, I, 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 and I can, I can understand 
especially after the shooting. Think about it now. There's the shooting before the shooting and the massacre in Charleston. You had a shooting at World Changes Church in uh, at Creflo Dollars Church, World Changes Church International in Atlanta, during the prayer service where a person came in and was killed. You had a shooting. At several, there have been shootings at several churches, uh, Louisiana and um, Detroit, and most of all of them have been domestically related. You know, um, some type of domestic issue that rolled over into that sacred space, with the exception of Charleston, um, where um, the, the shooter just was randomly uh, intent on trying to start a race war. But when you think about these places, these sacred spaces, and, and think about it now, the shooting at the Sikh temple, there's shooting at the Jewish mosque, I mean, um, uh, Islamic mosques, there have been shootings at um, Jewish synagogues. So it's not a limited to a Christian space. Okay, it's not in, a, in my article that I, 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 I've written up, an op-ed piece that uh, should be published. Uh, Published later on today, a Max Pacto written a couple since uh, in regard to the shootings on Sunday. This is not just a Christian thing, and while people were trying to call, you know, some people were trying to say it's a terroristic attack. Um, it, this this goes across the 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 dynamic of religious um, the religious experience. Sikhs have been influ- in, in, impacted by this. Jews have been impacted by gun violence. Uh, non-believers have been impacted by gun violence at gatherings. We're seeing it happen, but when it happens in a sacred space, what makes it more unique is because we expect that those sacred, place, those sacred places are guarded by the supernatural. We believe that when we come into this place, we're coming in this place to worship. We're gathering in this place so that the people who are in the place have a sense of protection. And I'm going I'm to I'm I'm get into um, the biblical imagery of protection and, you know, the idea of protection as, as we get it generated from, from the Bible. Temporal protection and I, you know, as I mentioned, the eternal security. We we practice, we preach that. We believe that we should believe that we should continue to. We should not stop preaching eternal security. We should not stop preaching that you know when you leave here, you need to know where you're going. You know, we need, we we need to continue that. And for those who may not believe in heaven or hell. You may believe earth is the hell, heaven and the hell that exists and there's no other place. Fine, you can have that. You can have that. But those of you who believe that there is a distinction at the two, that there is a hell and there is a heaven, and that you're going to be in one of them eternally, then you need to get right. <laughs> you need to get right. You need to proclaim that. Now, I know that sounded kind of like really contradictory in that but the reality is one of these old days one of these old days we all gonna come to a final ascent. 
take our final breath. And when that blast, that last breath is taken, we're going to be somewhere. Our transition is going to be somewhere into the eternal. Well, maybe we'll be reincarnated. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy! <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, these lives. Now, let me get back to my thought because uh, I, I I did get off track. Let me let me let me let me take this this anti thoughts and prayers thing again. I understand the sentiment because the people from this perspective are saying they were already in church. They were already supposedly praying. They were already doing the things that should have protected them, and yet it did not. So therefore, if they were praying and if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing in that sacred space, why did God not intervene? Why did God not hear? Why did God not show somebody that this was about to happen? Where were the prophets? Where are the prophets? Prophesying all these other things, prophesying houses, prophesying this. Where are the prophets who, who should be seers, forecasters, foreseers? Why couldn't they see that? Why couldn't they? Where are the preachers who are saying, you know, who who are preaching? Well, that's off on a different tangent. Let me let me stop because I'm one of those preachers I was about to talk about. <laughs> you know, I I'm I would never say that prayer is trivial. I would never say that it's irrelevant. I would never say that it is not. It doesn't work. I know prayer changes things. You know, there's a good preacher in me. I know prayer changes things. I know prayer changes people or influences, <laughs> at the very least. I know prayer causes miracles through faith. The question now is, why, why, if those persons, for example, let's say they gathered last Sunday and they prayed for protection. Let's say they had Bible study or prayer meeting on Wednesday and they prayed for protection. Then why did they not get that in that moment? That's the question that these persons are posing. Because if we were praying right, we wouldn't see these type of backs in churches. If we were praying right, prayer was real and effective then there would be no need for us to begin begin discussing armed security in churches. The Holy Ghost should quicken the hearts of men and women to act and change. The person who, by them, by their thought, the person who was about to carry out that act of violence should have been convicted with such guilt and shame the moment he stepped on the parking lot of that church. If God was present, God should have intervened before he got in his car to drive 20 minutes out of his way to that small town in Texas with his weapons. If, From their assertion, if God was really concerned, then God would not have allowed him to have the mind to have to purchase a weapon 
to carry it out in the evil act, to intentionally do so. And I understand that. I completely understand that that thought process. I would question it also. I, you know, I was wonder. I would wonder. I wonder, not would wonder. I wonder why doesn't God sometimes intervene on our free will? Why doesn't He force us to act? If we read through Scripture, we see where God caused things to happen that caused people to act. Think about Jonah. The story of Jonah is the epitome of the arguments as such as this. Jonah intentionally betrayed God, tried to run away, and God intentionally brought a storm to antagonize him to do what he wanted, what God wanted him to do. And then even after Jonah did what he did, you know, being in the belly of the, the big fish or the whale or whatever it was for three days and calling out and, his, and repenting of his folly, and his vanity and lying fallacies and gets thrown up he goes and preaches to those persons those persons repent as he knew they would and he got mad at God because he said why did you have me to do it in the beginning when you know they were already going to change their mind and he sat under the juniper tree waiting to die because he was still angry at God for forcing him to carry out something he didn't want to do. Why? That, that's the question people wonder, are asking now. And I'm sure people would be asking me, preacher, why couldn't God? Why didn't God? Why won't God? Those questions I can't answer. Which makes them like, well, why did you? Why would you trust a God that you can't have an answer for when it comes to very, very real situations like that? Nothing trifling like saying, "Oh, uh, my my car note is behind, and I need God to make a miracle for me so I can pay my car note or my rent or whatever it may be." All that's folly, and yet the real, the real. Tragedies are seeing people lose their lives in sacred spaces while you're trying to tell people you need more, you need a bigger building, you need this, you need that, and God would be pleased if we did this or we had that, and yet, and yet, you allow or God allows things like this to happen. Who would want to trust a God like that? And though, yeah, people might not, might not, preachers may be afraid to address that because, you know, the answer is like, I don't know. But the reality is, sometimes it's just easier to say, I don't know. Sometimes it's easy. It's easier. Let me, let me, let me get to this. When I, when we talk about and I, and I stated before the idea of the eternal security, okay, eternal security we've gotten that now. We preach it. We know for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will never perish, but have everlasting life. We get that. But when it comes to the temporal security. Of this house not made by man's hand. Of this house made by man's hand. 
<laughs> it gets tricky. I'm gonna take a quick break. I gotta give me some water. <laughs> um, when we come back, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna put about. I'm gonna put the perspective of eternal security. I mean, uh, temporal security from a biblical perspective of the symbolism and the biblical imagery of protection. Um, God's protection and man's protection, Psalms of protection, all of that. You know, we'll, we'll talk about all of that. And, I, you know, moving to the this this new discussion of, well, not new, but the discussion about protecting churches. Is there a need for us to be protected? So... I'm going to take this short break. Give me some water, and I'll be right back. Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. We covered it, February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. Covered it February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum.
All right, welcome back to Zero today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and um, glad that you're joining in with us this morning. We are talking about eternal and temporal security. God's eternal and temporal security. And in and, and the first segment, before I um, took a break, we talked about eternal security in the sense that as as believers, we know that we have a place to go. We have a hope of eternal salvation. Uh, that when we die, we know that we have a place to go. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also, all right? And so we, we, we say those words at funerals. We say those words um, week after week. We proclaim a message of salvation through uh, faith in Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, and hopes that... Um, through faith in him, your sins are forgiven, and you don't receive the wages of sin, which is eternal death. You will die, but you don't re- you don't have eternal death. And that at the judgment, the final judgment, you are found worthy because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That you are among those believers. You are among those who have been marked by the blood of the Lamb. So we we have that part covered down, but it's on this side here that we must live. It is this side here that we must grieve when we hear the news of tragedies Sunday. And as a pastor who has been directly impacted by gun violence, and I share the story, and it's in my book, The Breach in the Family. Uh, you can purchase that. <laughs> That's my plug from my book. Um, as a pastor who has been directly affected by gun violence with my mother and my nephew uh, and even though my, my my brother was killed he was stabbed he was not it was not through gun violence it was still violence i've been affected by been directly affected by violence the question is why does not god intervene why does not god provide that temporal protection and eternal, uh security but when we read through the Old Testament, we see that we find stories of God intervening and protecting those individuals. We find stories where where God takes individual persons and protecting them, protects them. I mean, let's 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 break down this idea of what protection is, security is, um, from a biblical perspective. Now, the Bible is full of rich imagery, particularly with the words that it uses to discuss uh, salvation, deliverance, and um, protection, uh, and the idea of security. We we hear words like guard. Refuge. Um, what else? Like uh, um, deliverer. Um, we 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 see and we read these words in the Old Testament, and they conjure up the image of God working and protecting and securing the lives of those that He saw fit. Now. 
think about it, uh, story of Moses. God delivered Moses uh, as babies were being killed. God intervened so that he would not be killed, but would be raised in Pharaoh's court and later become the deliverer of God's people. Uh, even after he murdered another man and he fleed, you know, and still became an agent of change for God. Well, think about this is the big story. Um, Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. The story is that while Lot was there, two angels came to get him out of the city that was about to be destroyed. And the story goes that the men of the city, you know, did what they did, wanted what they wanted, and that the angels struck them blind. Them with blindness to protect Lot, to get Lot and his daughters out of the city. Only when Lot and his daughters get out of the city, Lot's daughters believe that they're the only people left on the planet and they commit incest. Or the numerous times about David, as David was fleeing from Saul, and Saul was attacked, and Saul had, you know, he had mental issues, <laughs> emotional problems. He was very distressed and attempted to kill David on a number of occasions. And God protected David from individual harm. And yet David carried out some massacres in the name of God. Or what about the prophet Elijah, who after defeating after 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 defeating or, or, or having God show himself as the Lord to the people, killed four hundred and twenty five prophets. And yet, when he felt threatened by Jezebel, fled for his life. God protected him and said, look, you're not the only one I got, so go back and speak. So we, we see, we see, we read stories where God seems to intervene on individual agents. But we don't see that today. Now I have a testimony. I, you know, I've there've been plenty of times that I've been in, in moments of danger, where where harm could have come to me and it didn't, or harm could have come to my family members and didn't, or harm could have come to friends of mine and it didn't. And it's with those that we that we uh, take for granted. It's, it's those that those moments that we um, don't want to credit to God per se until until you know we want to be spiritual. But when we read through, particularly like the Psalms, if you read through the Psalms, 
all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them present situations of intense intervention by God. Even where the psalmist is calling out for God to do something mean to those who are antagonizing him. Carry out an act of violence against those who are antagonizing him. When you read through the Old Testament and you see what God is intervening on behalf of nations. So, like, for example, there's a, what is it, uh, in Second Kings uh, chapter 7. You know, the Syrian army is, is coming around, they're attacking, and, um, and God protects Samaria from the Syrians. By making it sound like there's another army, <laughs> and they and they basically abandon their whole camp, and these lepers find it, and you know they well, they don't know what to do. They're like, well, if we stay here, if we stay here, you know, we get captured, maybe killed by the enemy. We go into the city, well, they may not kill us, but you know, we won't be welcome. So they do what they do. <laughs> but think about it. God does this on behalf of this Samaria, Samaria, you know, on behalf of Samaria. And then, um, what's another story? Um, you can think of one in the New Testament. Uh, Paul. Paul, as he's on his way to, uh, to, to Rome in Acts chapter 27. God intervenes on his behalf directly. There's a shipwreck, you know, and you know the story is that that while Paul is shipwrecked, um, um he's assured that nobody's going to die in the midst of the storm and nobody's going to die after the wreck and of course nobody does. He's he he gets on land and they then he gets bit by a uh, viper or a snake, and the people is like, "Yep, this is a sign from God that this man is not who he says he's going to. He is, and he's surely about to die, and he doesn't die." Okay, when we talk about this temporal security, it reinforces the idea that God is greater than our own human vulnerability. That God is greater than uh, our our own power, and that because of His sovereignty, He can intervene when He so chooses. And that's I think that's the problem that a lot of people have in this dialogue and this conversation about uh, the shooting. Is if God did all of this personal intervention? Or collective intervention then Why isn't he doing it now Why are we still seeing these acts of violence now Why are sacred spaces being invaded By persons who have no sense of sacredy uh, No sense of, of, of reverence For God's sacred space And committing these acts of crimes And violence against other humans and I wish I had an answer for that, but I don't. And that, you know, that's just as frustrating to me as it is to those who are probably listening to me, wondering, "Well, preacher, you don't, you shouldn't be serving that God. 
if that God can only provide you eternal security, if that God can only provide you things for when you dead and gone, what would be the purpose of you serving him now? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine that's all good. But I like the another hymn that says it even better. Says it even better than than what I could say in that blessed assurance. There's another hymn by William Bathurst. I hope I said his name right. But look what it says. O full of faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of every or any earthly woe. And then verse three, uh, verse 2. That will not murmur or complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain will lean upon its God. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempests rage without, that when in danger knows no fear, in darkness fears no doubt, that bears unmoved the world's dread frown, nor heeds the scornful smile that seas of trouble cannot drown, nor Satan's art beguile. And then he closes out with this verse. Lord, give me such a faith as this, and then whatever may come, I'll taste even now the hallowed bliss of an eternal home. And yes, that may reinforce this this sense of escapism that many of us hold when it comes to eternal security. Yes, they may reinforce this idea that one of these old days... When this life is over, I'll fly away. Yes, they may reinforce that, but it also reinforces the sense of hope. A hope that if we did not have, we would not know. A hope that says that, yes, I will be tested, I will be tried, I will face trials and tribulations. I will face the very sense of death, but in that facing of death... I will be assured that there is life. Now, let me get on to the subject of of um, temporal security in the form of church protection. In 2016, I advocated against a bill that was eventually passed in um, the state of Mississippi. It's called the Church Protection Act. And... In reaction to the Charleston shooting in 2015, the Mississippi legislature uh, passed a law that stated that churches will have the power to authorize persons to be part of a trained armed security team that in the case of such, a case of someone coming in with a weapon, brandishing a weapon, or threatening harm, or shooting, that those persons deemed by that church legally and trained in capacity with the right credentials, if they need to take excessive force, if they need to use force of any kind, not excessive, but if they need to use force, if they need to use their weapons, then they will be authorized to do so and 
if a life is taken in that process, that they would not be liable. They would not help be held liable. You know, they won't get a murder charge. And I, I, I agree with that concept, That, but that wasn't what I protested. What I was protesting is the fact that uh, it also said that persons can come into my, my church armed as long as it was concealed, and they wouldn't need a permit, wouldn't need a license, wouldn't need all that. And that's the scary thing. Yes, it could be concealed, but I want to know who has weapons in my church. I want to know who's, who's strapped up. I've been in situations, <laughs> and I, I've shared this before, uh, on one occasion where uh time I was I just got ordained my my itinerant elders ordination and we were in Camden, Arkansas. Never forget it. Um and an individual threatened my life and at the time the the life of my ex wife. Now wasn't sure if there was an empty threat or not, but she made sure that persons knew the threat. They heard the threat, and it was it was a threat of violence. And so the following that following day, um, there were there were armed security in the church, uh, plain clothes officers in the church, and every preacher in the pulpit, including the bishop, except me. I was was packing. They were ready. For my protection, because the threat was against me individually, and this person made sure that the person that people heard the threat. It was very audible. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't like I'm going to do this in my head. No, this person made it known audibly, loud enough for other persons to hear that this that their intent was to carry out a threat. And yes, that person um, was dealt with. The threat was not carried out, but it, it it brought to me the awareness of both the well we already knew this person was a bit mentally unstable, but it brought to me an awareness that I need to be prepared. I don't know, but at the same time, I reverence the space of God as being sacred, and I shouldn't have to have my weapon on me. I don't want my members coming to church and saying, you know, I want ha- I shouldn't have to be, uh, I, sh- I should have to announce. I said these persons are our security team and they are armed. I shouldn't have to announce. I don't want ever to have to announce that. Now we do have we ha- we do have persons who have been authorized to uh, watch and pray <laughs> while I am watching and praying. And while we are praying, those persons are military and um, police reserve in our congregation. And it was like that before I came here, and it's, I kept it in place. But those persons, they are the watchful eye. For what I can't see, they can see. Their weapons are there, and the members are already aware that those persons are authorized to have those weapons and to carry out if necessary. So, 
it is what it is. I uh, let me. I got. I just got a text message asking me of a question. Um. Um. <laughs> matter of fact, it's pertaining to the statement I've just made. Um. I've been fielding a lot of. Uh, Questions about this Church Protection Act that was passed last year. Uh, anyway, uh, so well, I'm running out of time anyway. <laughs> but let, let me get this. Let me let me get this in. Um, I understand that the environment we're living in now is so charged with evil of life, not just in churches, but across the spectrum of life. We see in Las Vegas that it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. Um, your life can be taken by someone who just chooses to believe that they have the ability to do so with a weapon. And we should be on our ever vigilant. We should be ever vigilant to guard our souls, guard our lives. However that comes, however that takes place, we should. And I pray that we find a way to end gun violence. Gun violence is preventable, and we can we can we can curb the tide of gun violence. There's another way, but we can encourage our legislators to draft and pass common sense gun laws, the loopholes, and all of that. We can encourage those who are gun owners to be responsible gun owners. Children are being affected by this. Everyone is being affected by this. And we can do better. But look, i got to get out of here. And um, we will uh, we'll probably have a rebroadcast next week. I'm not sure. Uh, this is our planning meeting for the 8th Episcopal District. So I may be in the loop, may not be in the loop. But either way, we'll do what we can. But until then, I have got to get out of here. This is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Make sure you listen to all our broadcasts. Um, catch them all on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, however you can, on uh, the Facebook page. Tune in and listen, share, however you want to. Thank you so much. I bless you. Pastor Neal and I'm out.